so I was gonna do ET this week, but I think, especially because it's so topical, I think this may be the first episode. So, uh, happy 100 again. <laughs> Thank you. Happy 100 again to you too. Oh man. dead daughter movies uh, <laughs> uh you mean the standard for the 80s uh drama uh, uh, apparently uh, it's it is shirley mclean and dead child when you think of the 80s that's what you first think of but before we get into that man i don't know if i misread your message but did you want to talk about what was going on with uh the uh don't worry darling situation or what, what is the actual update? Like, are there any, like, real updates to consider? I guess it depends on what you'd consider an update, because it depends on when you last checked in. Uh, the last thing that I heard was the whole Shia LaBeouf, like, thing to where, I guess, Olivia Wilde said that he was begging to get on the movie, but apparently she was begging to save him on the movie or some wild shit like that. Yeah, uh, she also thought that him staying on the movie would teach Florence Miss Flo, as she referred to Florence Pugh, a lesson, uh, which is really disturbing when you think about all the women that have accused Shia LaBeouf of uh, fostering an unsafe working environment. Yeah, like what what kind of lessons she got in mind? Like this sounds fucking awful. Jesus Christ. Yeah, and, and since it's kind of been implied in some blind items. That Florence Pugh basically directed the movie because Olivia Wilde was too busy shagging Harry Styles. <laughs> I want to see this fucking movie so bad. Um, oh, my God. I don't know if I can financially part, support this my movie. My favorite. Oh, I for sure can because we need more women directors. They just don't need to be Olivia Wilde. But if this movie fails, no one will ever give another woman a chance. Oh, no. Is that the stakes also, that we're on? Pretty much. Also, I need the Chris Pine machine to start working again. I mean, <laughs> I mean, did it stop, though? Kinda. He hasn't been in anything in a while. So between the Star Trek reboot and what? Uh, Wonder Who's Woman? Into the Woods and Wonder Woman. So, yeah, he's been grinding them out. Yeah, but, like, not enough. I want more. Give me more. Also, I feel that, like, in this instance, maybe supporting Florence Pugh isn't a terrible idea either. So Support her in other ways if you can. But my favorite thing is that she's like, I will not be doing any press for this. And people are like, why? And she's like, because I am going to be Princess Irulan in Dune 2. And I was like, she is only in the last scene of Dune. But go off, queen. I mean, Don't do listen, that press. Listen, that, she may have the greatest... 10 seconds in, in film history just being a part of doom so we, we may have to give it a shot oh so, we, we for sure will but that's not a reason to not do any press for the movie like the the amount of drama that is involved with this thing first of all i'm interested in it because it seems like a really good 
I'm interested. Like you've you've seen the trailer. I'm I'm in. Uh, but also, okay. the only way that we're gonna get a documentary about all the behind the scenes shit about this movie is if people go to see it. Get me that expose. I think if it tanks, it may even be. It may even be better. <laughs> so so what if this thing makes two hundred million dollars? Is Hollywood gonna interpret that as we need to give Olivia Wilde more shit, or we need no. to give no. Florence Pugh no. a directorial debut? That one. Because at this point, I think Olivia Wilde is just kind of tainted between what's going on with her and Jason Sudeikis. And now that video of her, like, basically saying if Shia LaBeouf rapes Florence Pugh, that'll teach her a lesson. Yeah. I don't think anyone's going to want to work with her anymore. These are some hard But I think it's going to be really, I think it's going to be really good for the actors and actresses involved in the project. Ooh. When does it come out again? I think it's September 23rd. <laughs> I don't think it's gonna be an opening weekend get for me. I think it's gonna be a I take myself on a date on Tuesday night kind of deal. I mean, we're gonna get the reviews pretty quick. Uh, actually, people haven't reviewed it yet, right? It's not available for critics yet, right? No, it's doing a couple festivals. Okay. Has there been any buzz on it yet? Uh, no, because the first one it's doing is Venice, which I think is this weekend. Oh, okay. <laughs> what, do you, what are the, your the predictions? Bu- the buzz is percolating. I think it's going to be better than everyone is expecting, given all this drama, but worse than we would have thought it would have been if there hadn't been all this drama that came out, which I think is probably going to leave it at like a C-plus movie. Yeah, I would say probably that at best. Did you see that clip, though, of the Harry Styles uh, acting 30, 30 seconds? <laughs> I don't want to talk about him because I'm afraid of Harry Styles fans. And I think his fans are enough of a reason that this movie is going to print money. So I don't think we really need to pay attention to him. Oh, my God. As far as I'm concerned, he's means to an end to get to Chris Pine scenes. <laughs> he's, the, he's the toll we must pay. To get I to have Chris to Pine. tolerate Harry Styles. To get to my man, Chris Pine. Oh, man. I have to survive Harry Styles. He's going to be a wolf. It's going to be. I mean, unless he isn't. Like, we, we, yes, I've seen the clip, but, like, I don't know where in the process that was. True. And maybe it was a tape that they cut. And also just without lacking context. There's clearly meant to be some mind control hypnotism-y bullshit going on in that movie. So maybe he he's is, the drone. Yeah, I'm like, if he's doing a really good job acting like a mindless crony and that's his direction. <laughs> if he's if he's acting like someone who has never spoken the Queen's English before and he's doing <laughs> that well with it, then maybe we should all just hold our fucking horses. Oh, man, it's going to be. But a- also, please know it pains me to say generally positive things about Harry Styles, given what he just fucking said in Rolling Stone. So like, uh, what did he say in Rolling Stone? Oh, um, he said that he was excited. He he's going to be in a movie called My Policeman, which make of that what you will. Oh, um, oh and no. it's it's a, a a movie about being gay, and I believe also a policeman and also British, uh, which is kind of a losing combination of things. And he basically was like, I'm so excited to be in a piece of queer cinema that isn't just like all about sex. 
because all queer movies uh, are actually about wanting to bone. Oh my god. <laughs> so Jesus. And everyone's Christ. like, Harry Styles, we don't even have confirmation that you're not straight. And also yeah. that is the most straight white male I went to a college film class, but like fell asleep halfway through take I've ever heard in my whole life. Definitely correct me if I'm wrong, but basically so he is not confirmed queer. And from what I, I guess, kind of queer iconography and making money off of it. Yeah, so he's very like queer posing, but I, I kind of heard through the Rolling Stone interview, and I don't know if this is true or not, but he basically is kind of like, I'll continue to do queer things. It doesn't matter if I appear in, in public with a queer partner, but I have no problem with appearing with a, a posing straight woman as my partner. But I, I just don't pop up with a man or a queer person as my partner. Yeah, and I mean, as a queer person, I've been in largely straight passing relationships. And that doesn't necessarily mean, like, that doesn't mean I'm less queer. I kind of understand if he's trying to just be like, listen, man, sometimes it just happens that way. Because sometimes it does. Yeah. But, like, well, I mean, a lot of his statements are really, like, spoken by, like, a guy who's like, oh, no, I love the gays. And, like, not... And who knows that he can, like, wear pink and make money off of them and not as someone who, like, has any interest. Like, even even if he is queer in some way, he seems like someone who is overjoyed at the idea of cashing out before he has to, like, do anything. Yeah. So, like, so, if I mean, queer that's... rights are on the line, he would probably be like, you guys should fight for it. But, like, not me, though. Yeah, and that I would say that's definitely the biggest difference. Like, it's and that's one like thing if the you're the ultimate white cis male presenting privilege. Yeah, and it's one thing if you're living your life and you don't have like a queer partner or whatever, but if millions of dollars are at stake and you're up for that cash grab and you're propagating a culture that you may or may not even be a part of, then that's where the grossness kind of comes into. Yeah, and it's one thing if he was just, like, for lack of a better term, like, a flamboyantly dressing guy who supports queer rights. Like, that's great. Honestly, I kind of wish we had more of those because, like, that makes it a lot easier for for straight men to come out of their boxes a little bit. Yeah. But because he leans so into the ambiguity, and I think – I if he's like, listen, man, it's because it's genuinely a privacy thing and I just don't want people to know that I'm like, cool, then stop weighing in on queer issues like an authority. Like you can't <laughs> you can't you can't sip out both sides of the bowl, you know? Yeah. Argue and you are trying to be an authority on queer issues, but you're terrible at it. Yeah. Or are you a straight man trying to be an authority on queer issues? If it was just the style it wouldn't bother me so much because like Prince was also very flamboyant and allegedly straight. Yeah. And Prince was never trying to speak for the queer community. Yeah, definitely. Actually, the worst part is I quite like Harry Styles music. I like his style. I appreciate a lot of what he has done for like outward flamboyance for all people, especially in an incredibly like divided time right now. Yeah. I think he's helped to normalize at least like, queerness presentation in a way that is harder and harder to come by yeah but i also feel that by then saying all gay movies are about sex like jeez 
I was thinking a lot about that, right? Because when I first read it, I recoiled. And I was like, who the fuck does this man think he is? And I was like, all right. Well, I mean, the birdcage acknowledges that sex happens, but that's really a movie about raising a family. And yeah. and what, what does a family mean? In Blue in the, is the Warmest Color, sex happens, but it's really about, like, what it means to be loved. In Portrait of a Lady on Fire, sex happens, but that's really a movie about what it means to be a woman. Yeah. Moonlight. I mean, Moonlight yeah. is not about sex, like, at all. Yeah. I'm just trying to, like... Really, I'm like, what move? Harry Styles, what movies are you watching? He, Watermelon Woman, watching. movie where sex happens. Really not about sex. I mean, the thing is, like, a lot of queer movies, it's really just about discovering and building these relationships with these people who are unique just like you. And sex is kind of like a bright product of something that just kind of happens. And it, it, as far as, like, even building those relationships – a lot of those are even done better than some like the cis and straight like rom-coms and romantic movies that we get. So that's just a weird ass take from him. That's that's just kind of silly because if we said all straight posing rom-coms and romantic movies like are all about sex, well, I mean we have a bevy of examples where it's just not true, and I would say even more so for like like queer movies. So. That was a that was a shitty take. Yeah, and I feel like a huge amount of of queer cinema is trying to go, look, we're not this stereotype. Yeah. That just doubles down on the shittiness of the take, if we're honest. Maybe the issue is just that he doesn't have adequate film exposure. But if that's the case, <laughs> then why would you generalize it to all films? Like I think there's nothing wrong with saying, I really like that this film prioritizes the portrait of the characters and their deep love and affection for each other and isn't directly sexual. That's not a problematic statement. But as soon as you add, unlike those other movies, like, then you just kind of sound like a dick. Yeah. The only movie that I can kind of think of that even had, like, a queer movie that would just had a lot of sex in it, with the normal heart, right? But also that, like, served a greater purpose in the context of the film. Yeah. It's not just about, like, the sexy times. I mean, that's literally about the, the dark times of, of gay culture, so yeah. There's a great French film called Strangers, uh, Stranger by the Lake, and it's about cruising culture, but it's also about, like, the, the inherent danger that these men put up with just to be normal. And the idea is, like, if you meet a guy for the first time that really makes your heart race and and makes you happy, but you know that he murdered somebody, but also he's the first guy you've ever felt normal with, ever, what do you do? Yeah. And that's on the watch list, too. So that was on the watch list. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's by your recommendation, too. So. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of dick in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> like a lot of dick but that's okay but like even even though there's a, t a ton of sex in that movie and like if he was like i saw that whole movie and all i saw was like a big ejaculating penis and i couldn't like really extrapolate themes i'd be like you know what that's super fair it took me like two weeks after the movie to like actually get the themes out of it okay and i'm pretty good at this because i spent a lot of it going 
am I just watching porn with a group of people? Like, I don't know how I'm supposed to feel right now. Yeah. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing with my eyebrows. Like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but I think it, it's incredibly reductive to say that, especially in a time where a lot of the arguments against queer people are, oh, they just like having sex and sucking dicks and uh, they're scourged upon the planet. Hey, Jesus, like. Then just going like, yeah, man, you know those gays always sucking dick, like, is a little uh, <laughs> not fucking helpful, Harold. Before we pivot to the films, I don't mm. know if you saw this on the TL, but apparently, <laughs> apparently, Leonardo DiCaprio, he broke up with his girlfriend, and there was, I retweeted it, but I don't know if you ever saw it, but apparently he has, like, the chart graph of tracking his girlfriend since 1999. Oh, and, and their ages? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've aged out it, of the Leonardo DiCaprio pilot program so, at a so, crisp 25. So this infograph that I'm looking at, it has eight previous girlfriends and as soon as they hit the 25 mark they've been out of here so so in this last one uh, apparently she turned 25 this year uh leo is 40 uh 44 45 ish or whatever actually no he's older now he's like 46 yeah and, he's old and he is now over his 25 year old so something so. something that's, that's what, what i like about, about high school, school girls, girls. I get older, they stay the same age. <laughs> yes, they do. Yes, they do. Speaking of other things that I'm hopeful about, but like not enough to yet be excited, I watched the most recent trailer for the Spirit Halloween movie, which is coming out soon. Okay, all right. I didn't even know they it, made a trailer for it. Yeah, it looks like an episode of like Goosebumps TV show, or like Are You Afraid of the Dark? <laughs> And Christopher okay. Lloyd happens to be in it. And those are, oh, like, oh, wow. all of my buttons. Like, the amount of serotonin. Between that and the weird trailer. Like, and you know I don't like trailers. But my trailer serotonin has been good. Oh, my God. Speaking of trailers, did, I'm assuming not. But did you ever see the Marilyn trailer? Uh, the, the blonde or whatever it's called. Yeah. No, I'm kind <laughs> so of over I, the exploitation of Marilyn Monroe as a public figure, especially because she didn't want to be a public figure. Public Marilyn and private Marilyn were different. And we as a society have just decided to exploit that to fucking high heaven. And that bothers me, yeah. including like using her Met Gala, like the dress for the Met Gala and all this other stuff where like we've continued to fetishize someone who is very private about what could and couldn't be fetishized about them. Yeah. Upsets me. I also think it's very American, but it upsets me. And I don't know that I want to support that. But I'd rather focus on the work that she did. Yeah. But something humorous from the trailer. So Honor de Amas, she's not going to do a Maryland accent. She's only going to do her regular, you know, accent. And in theory, when I heard she was going to do that, I was like, you know what? Fuck it. It's okay. And then as soon as she started talking and that and her like her kind of like American accent that she well, it wasn't even American accent. She was just speaking English. And 
she's basically just a, a Cuban person speaking English, and <laughs> she's it's so it's gonna be bad. Normally, I don't necessarily want people doing an American accent because that would just be bad. But if you're doing a biopic, you you have to attempt the accent, and she's not, and it sounds terrible. So this may be the last like Maryland thing that we get as far as pop culture, other than showing her face on T-shirts from Old Navy or some shit like that. Yeah, but. It's going to flop. Like I think the, it's going to flop. the moment where Harley Quinn evokes like diamonds are a girl's best friend in Birds of Prey. Like that's as close to Marilyn as we need to get right now. Like also at the risk of being that person between documentaries that my day with Marilyn or whatever that came out like five years ago. Like It's been done. All right. Yeah. And I don't need an NC-17. Like Why? Is she doing the shmoney dancing now? Why is it NC-17? I don't know, Mark! So I'm excited about the Spirit Halloween movie. But also, have you heard about Pearl? Uh, no, I have not. So did you see X last year? No, but I know I know about it. I heard about Pearl it. Pearl is a prequel to X. And oh. they're both releasing in the same year. Okay. <laughs> and they're by the same director... And I just have so many questions. Like I, He's the eight twenty four burnout is starting. Oh, it's it, it started all right. It it is it's almost there. I think we're there. I think we're there. Yeah. <laughs> Let me specify the A twenty four horror burnout because I think that like they helped to release Parasite in the U S. and they did The Northmen, which I thought was pretty good. I haven't seen it, but a lot of people that saw it liked it. And, like, they've done some other, like, non-horror movies that I think are good. But, like, can they maybe chill the fuck out? I think the jig with A24 it is definitely up. Because I definitely noticed their thing is aesthetics first and then yeah. story maybe after. And so they're kind of pumping them out. So, But also, it's... like, they did everything everywhere all at once, which we love. And the tragedy of Macbeth, which was really good. The Green Knight, Zola, like, I think a lot of the problem we have with them is horror specific. Yeah, yeah. I think it's because they do these horror movies that are style first, substance third, which is still pretty good. But, like, there's also just so many of them. And I just found out why Blonde is NC-17. This is going to be one you don't want to watch. I can already tell. So this is going to be apparently abortion scenes abuse this quote happy sex unhappy sex so directed man yeah no we we not we not around for this one so i hope this flops i hope no one is subject to this bullshit but it's gonna be a netflix first right so yeah the more the more i'm looking at the a24 movies the more i'm realizing my problem is literally just with their horror offerings I mean, like the Florida Project fucks. Good time is terrifying, but it fucks. You like Good Time? No. Well, but I acknowledge it's a good movie. Okay, yeah, liking that. That's how I felt about Uncut Gems. I had to tap out because I literally was having an anxiety attack. And that's the type of movie that they make, and they're good at it. Yeah, I really did fuck with Uncut Gems. Pretty heavy. But that movie Uh, is not for me, and that's okay. Florida Project is excellent if you haven't seen it. I love that movie. The Disaster Artist, which we don't need to talk about James Franco, but like he did unfortunately make a good movie. 
I love Zola. Zola was really fucking good. Yeah, I love that movie. Like all, yeah, pretty pretty much place. all of their non Last Black Man in San Francisco. After Yang. The Farewell. Men sucked so bad. Men yeah. sucked so bad. Uncut Gem, Minari. Minari was cool. Yeah, so like a lot I of the movies it. that we have really liked in the last couple of years have come from them too. Yeah. The problem is that they're horror movies. I think you're kind of on the right path. I like Bodies, 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 but it's something a little bit off about it. But yep. I appreciated it. I appreciate it. But hey, I loved, and I do mean loved, watching Pete Davidson die. (laughs) Spoiler alert. (laughs) In the spirit of, you know, promoting uh, women directors, a woman did direct that, a a Dutch woman. So if you want to watch Pete Davidson have a simulated expiry, uh, go, go check out Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. My favorite part was him not having all the tattoos. Like, I bet all the special oh, yeah. effects budget went to that. Um, definitely. Definitely. Hey, what's up, everybody? WWE Hall of Famer, The Godfather here. Special shout out to B. Hyphen and Handsome Bane for the WrestleCast Power Hour. And it's available everywhere. Podcasts or streams. So everybody check them out. You know the Godfather will. And it's time once again for everybody at the Hyphen Podcast Group to come aboard the whole train. Now later, sweaty marks. But anyway, speaking of, of movies and women, I think we should probably pivot to the movies that we are covering this week, officially. Yes. I think it's fair to say that both of them have a pretty spectacular collection of women. Absolutely, absolutely. So where do you want to start? So I watched Steel Magnolias first. I had never seen either of these movies, just in the interest of full disclosure. And I was also told that Steel Magnolias was going to make me cry. It's also just kind of a trope, right? Like, oh, Steel Magnolias. <laughs> a bit, a bit. And I'll be honest, in the first couple of scenes, I was incredibly worried about how catty the women seemed. Yeah. Because I was a little worried it was going to kind of perpetuate that thing, mm-hmm. you know, where women are friends, but are they really, but like... Yeah. Uh, uh, like, and it just, and shit like that. Sure as fuck does not. I thought that this movie was one of the most elegant portraits of female friendship and the resilience and bond that they have all formed through their respective traumas and the traumas that they've experienced as a group. I managed in a few decades to marry the two most worthless men in the universe and then proceeded to have the three most ungrateful children ever conceived. The only reason people are nice to me is because I have more money than God. Now, I'm not about to open a new can of worms. Weezer. What? If this is really how you feel, it isn't healthy. Maybe you should think about coming down to the guidance center and talking to someone with that help. I'm not crazy, Malin. I've just been in a very bad mood for 40 years. I know I'm not breaking any new ground here, but, like, (laughs) the... The sheer joy that I experienced of watching the women be together was honestly enough 
to to keep me from crying a lot of the time. Oh. It was sad. It was so horribly sad, you know, when Anel is talking about her husband and that he left. But the way that the women just rally around her, or it's so horribly sad with Shelby and the way that all the women just rally around her, or the, the scene at the Christmas party where Sally Field is like, this is not good news. Today, my daughter told me a big secret. Daddy. No, no, don't worry, honey. I'm not going to tell him you're pregnant. I'm just going to tell him. <laughs> I'm just going to tell him I'm going to be a granddaddy. <laughs> said Shelby couldn't have children. Yeah, what do they know? I guess she showed them. The doctor said she shouldn't have children. There's a big difference. This baby is not exactly great news. Jackson and Shelby. <laughs> oh, Malin, I really wish I had some words of wisdom, but I don't. So why don't we just focus on the joy of the situation? It'll be fine. Absolutely. You know what they say? That which does not kill us makes us stronger. And even though the, the women don't get it, they know enough to rally around her. Yeah. And that beauty, I think, is really something. And it's never portrayed as silly or shallow or less than. It just is. And it's also one of the few movies I've seen in in memory, recent memory, especially from the 80s, where, like, people's marriages get better. (laughs) Yeah. Dolly's husband doesn't leave. He he realizes he's been in a slump and tries to do right by her by not only helping her open a second location and helping to support Anel through doing that, but also by going to the funeral being present for her he tries to be there for her yeah i think with the husband character i think a lesser film with the depression he maybe he's just like leaves town and never comes back or some shit like that so well i was expecting them to pull a you know he's not depressed he's just a shit yeah it's guilt it's whatever you know there's another woman he killed Anel's husband, whatever. And it's not that. None of the husbands in this movie do bad things. Yeah. They're a little dumb, but they're ultimately like good <laughs> men. Yeah, this, uh, they're a little a little touching the head a little bit. <laughs> but I did appreciate all the relationships in the film, but more so the female friendship, the woman friendship. That was, I would say, pretty spectacular. Especially, I think my... I think the most important scene to me has to be kind of the funeral scene. Just the idea of like them like coming together to support, you know, obviously it's a, it's a tragedy what happened in the film, but I, I think the way that entire scene kind of played out and the ending, ending the way it did, which you would not have expected. I think that was kind of a, a beautiful, silly ass curveball that they threw us. Yeah. But even, like, I was waiting for Shelby's husband to do something shitty. Like, 
this just feels like a movie where the thing that they rally around is like a man transgressing into their space. Yeah. And it isn't. Anel's new bow is a little bit dumb, but like not dangerous, not bad. Olympia Dukakis buys the fucking radio station. <laughs> and like there's one throwaway line and I, I wish it was given a little more emphasis where they say like we have the highest rate of women lis- woman listeners we've ever had. If you've ever watched football, like it's like 20 percent women. Active <laughs> yeah. engagement is 20 percent women, you know, but like I love the idea that like she's like, I've got ideas on how to do this. It's such a diverse group of women that still somehow fit into the southern tropes while simultaneously subverting them, if that makes sense. Yeah, I feel that. The women are the centers of all the family units, which is not usually how things are. Shelby's a little bit of a princess, but it's also because she's kind of been kept in a glass tower her whole life because of her illness. Yeah. So it kind of makes sense and like the way that all of these moving pieces lock in so snugly to create a really interesting narrative i think it's just just beautiful yeah the (laughs) i guess i don't know this is me being from dc and seeing you know all these people attempt to be (laughs) attempt southern accents i definitely looked up where every single star was because these accents were all over the fucking place. Well, I don't I don't know if you noticed in the wedding scene that there are two people wearing Confederate hats. Uh, I, I missed that, but I am not surprised. I'm not surprised. It definitely made me a little itchy, though. I was like, ah. Uh, it was on brand. It was on brand. So got to oh, respect sure, it. But, ah. but also, like, part of me really would like to see this because I know it's based off of a play. Yeah. And the movie does not shy away from having a ton of sets and short scenes and like little asides and bits that like and cutaway gags that would not exist in a play. Yeah. So I I would be really interested to see how one would stage this. I always appreciate people who are really good at adapting plays into film because I think that like. I don't know if you've ever seen the filmed version, of, like the, the movie version of the producers, but like the director, who is the same director who directed it on Broadway, treats the screen like a proscenium, except when she doesn't. And as a side effect of that, you have a really inconsistent visual tone where it basically feels like it might as well be a recorded version of the musical, except when it doesn't. Yeah. And that's like totally challenging. The balance of that and even just like plays, the unspoken element of your your performers are performing for an audience. So the audience is, even though they're in their seats, they're still a part of the play, technically. Yeah. And so we so trying to translate the film, a lot of people kind of stumble on that. Even even like the film versions of A Raisin in the Sun are like multiple cameras but in the same apartment. None of them go outside. None of them stretch beyond that. And those are all decent adaptations, by the way. I'm not trying to shit on them. But, like, I appreciate that this one really is like, oh, we're a movie. Yeah. So we're going to be a movie. My favorite character from Still Magnolias 
it, it has to be Wheezy. I fucking love Shirley MacLaine. <laughs> like, I also like, love Shirley MacLaine. Weezer fucking rocks. But I really think I've got to give it up for Truvy because her optimism oh, to me is such a guiding light in this film. Yeah. That like even when her husband basically is like, I'm not going to go do the thing we do every year because fuck you. That's why she just is upset about it for a minute, but is still able to like stand up straight and yeah. go have a good time by herself. And like, that's so admirable to me. Yeah. And, and when Anella has the baby, she's the first person in the car. Like she's always in, you know, four inch heels, but she's moving. Yeah. I definitely appreciated Dolly in this film. And she's kind of someone who, even in a pop culture sense, it's so weird. Like, she was someone who was just kind of hovering. I mean, obviously, like, in the 70s with her, like, music career, and then the 80s, sort of with film and television. But, and I mean, even now, kind of in a pop culture sense, like, well, like, the 2000s and stuff like that. But she's a beam of light, a much welcome beam of light to this movie. And if you want to feel good about Dolly Parton, which you should. Go ahead and take a look at the benefits <laughs> package that Dollywood employees get. Go ahead and look at the Dolly's like reading challenge that she has for elementary and middle school kids. Go ahead and take a look at how much that's affected literacy in Tennessee. Yeah. Uh, go ahead and look up the Nashville baseball team that's named for her called the Nashville Dollies. <laughs> and look at where they donate their money. She is a class act in in all of the ways and i appreciate so much that in honestly every film i've seen her in including nine to five and this she she is able to bring such a large amount of heart and she's acting you know she she is able to act but it feels so real it feels like dolly parton took a little piece of her heart and put it in this character and not in a way that doesn't make it feel like less of a performance yeah any like plot pointer character that you may have could have done without. Cause I think the only, the only thing about Sil Magnolia is other than the accents. Um, uh, Daryl Hannah's character. Mm, well, the character, I think the character is pretty valid, especially like the kind of, you know, super Christian kind of growing population. But I don't know if I necessarily like Daryl Hannah in this. I didn't like Daryl Hannah because I knew it was Daryl Hannah. And the whole time I was like, <laughs> come on, Daryl Hannah, like Daryl Hannah upon us, please. And like, yeah. I do kind of appreciate that the movie like never gave her a makeover and she never like walked in. Like she, she kind of, <laughs> she kind of like had a moment where she was like, you could tell she was feeling better about herself. And that's a lot. Yeah. But like, she never was like, oh, and now she's beautiful. And I appreciate that. But I think that her story is there to show what the women went through when they were younger, but now. Yeah. And I think that it works as a really, like, she's got all these older women, like, loosen up. Like, it's going to be okay. Like, nothing's going to be perfect, and that's fine. Jesus is going to love you even if it doesn't, if he feels like you're doing something wrong. Yeah. You know, really trying to, to guide her. And I like mm-hmm. that characterization a lot. And I yeah. think that giving them someone to rally around who doesn't die um, <laughs> is really valuable. But I do think it felt a little distracting to have it be Daryl Hannah. She's like 6'2". 
like six one towering over everybody. Yeah, it's a, a little weird. I, I will say there are a couple like long pan shots that I feel like we could do without. I think that terms of endearment is a little bit worse for those. But uh, <laughs> but like I'm watching the scene right now where Shelby's telling her mom that she's pregnant, and she's yeah. trying to make she's trying to make hard sauce for figgy pudding. And she just can't do it. And Julia Roberts, who I feel like her performance is really good. Like, I know I know, I said that the character is kind of a brat, and she is. But, like, that's the point, because we get to see her start to grow out of it. But, unfortunately, she's never able to fully before she, she, she dies. She got the Golden Globe for it, was nominated for Best Supporting at the Academy Awards, so... Yeah, but I feel like when people talk about the movie, they're like, oh, Sally Field, oh, Olympia Dukakis, oh... Shirley McLean, like it's all about kind of the main four. Oh, Dolly Parton, it's all about the main four. When she like came around the the corner in the in the first, when she's in the bathtub and her husband comes in the window. Yeah. And she's like, I just want to make sure you're sure about this. Immediately out of the gate, I'm like, oh. <laughs> oh Jesus, she's trying to get a Tony Award too. Hilarious. I think she did a good job. The diabetic spasm scene that was. A little, a little rough, a little hard, a little hard to watch, but um, everything else I think she pulled off remarkably well. I also, though, I do wonder how much of that is direction-based. Because it, it yeah. seemed like the scene itself went on way too long. Yeah. And isn't, like, necessarily, like, her fault directly. Yeah. But maybe it is. I don't know. Her character and her unfortunate passing was kind of based on something that happened to the screenwriter of this. So he legit probably had like the first hand experience of it, unfortunately. So live from an undisclosed location in a basement in New York city. It's me, Craig ruler. Well, mayor of dimension X and the producer of the hottest new pod in that dimension or this one. The Shredhead Pod, starring the Blasian Betty, aka Google Chrome Dome, aka Ado Nobu Nigga, aka my best friend, Oroku Saki, aka The Shredder. And we put aside our differences with the Ninja Turtles to be your weekly source of hot takes, sports, and entertainment news. Stay all the way and hear who Saki is named as his Cretan of the Week, and find something valuable in the Shred Commendations. So we'll see you on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever your pods are casts. The Shredhead Pod is a member of the Hyphen Podcast Group. Shall we pivot? Yes, let us pivot to Terms of Endearment. Now, I wonder how you kind of took the relationship of the pretty strong dynamics of the mother daughter's relationship. When I was visiting you, I don't, I don't necessarily think you have kind of the same relationship that, uh, that they have with each other that you have with your parents. But I do think you guys have a pretty solid and firm kind of closeness to you, but I don't know if it's like this close. Uh, So how did you kind of take their relationship, especially kind of in the beginning and then when she officially moved out of Houston? So I thought that the relationship is definitely like a strong point of the movie. And I also think that it does a really good job of like 
realistically showing a relationship like that. Yeah. One thing though that I think that has happened with me in a way that it has not it has not happened in Steel Magnolias, and I do wonder if some of that is legitimately regional, is that my mother has accepted that I've grown into a woman she may not ever understand, but that does not impede her love of me, and that is something I appreciate about her. I, I don't know if it's regional. I think it's generational, though, for sure. Yeah, but I also think that, like, Sally... The end of this movie is Sally Field figuring that out. Yeah. Oh, uh, you mean um, Shirley MacLaine? No. Oh, wait, are we talking about Terms of Endearment? Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, no, that's just me and my mom. It's fine. Jill's not a psychopath, <laughs> but, like, it's fine. Um, <laughs> I I definitely noticed that, but, like, today I was having, like, a problem at work, and the first thing I did was, like, I'm going to call my mom. Like, <laughs> yeah. And and it helped. I was, like, I know what I need to do. It's, it's going to help, and it helped. And, like, yeah. I think that my, my mom has, like, accepted me as my own person for a long time, which is really good. But also in the way that, like, Shirley MacLaine was kind of, like, my mom has never been so outwardly not supportive. Yeah. Like, if I'm, like, mom, what do you think about this? She'll be, like, well, I'll tell you. But, like, I think that a lot of the New Englandness of my mom's relationship and uh, my mom's and I relationship is me going, Oh, she hates what I'm wearing. I can tell because she went, mm, and moved her eyebrows instead of going, mm, and moved her eyebrows. Like, <laughs> whereas yeah. Shirley MacLaine is just like, you look bad. And I'm like, she's right. But like that directness, I think is a big difference. Okay. And I also think that that's in some ways like what her daughter craves, but is also butting up against throughout the movie. Yeah. So it's a little bit less of, like, a chase in the sense of that. Whereas, like, with my mom, like, if my mom is like, you look nice, I'm like, put it on my gravestone this day. Jill said <laughs> I looked nice. I think it's perhaps the difference of expectation, right? Where, like, she doesn't get why her mom isn't proud of her constantly yeah. throughout the course of the film. And I think that's kind of the, po- the, the crux of the conflict in a lot of ways, right? Where, yeah. like... It seems like the daughter's like, I just want a normal mom. And, like, I understand that I maybe didn't get a normal mother-daughter relationship. And instead of just being like, but that's what I want, I've just learned to to adapt to the relationship I've had. And it's been a really positive relationship, all told. So, like, that's not a bad thing. Yeah. But I think kind of a recurring motif with the daughter is settling. Yeah, I would say that. And so I think that some of it is just learned through the mom. Whereas my relationship with my mother, Shirley McLean does remind me a lot of my mom in this movie, not in some yeah. of the meaner ways, but in some of the never settle yeah. ways. Whereas I feel like the daughter in that movie does not want to be challenged to never settle. Mm-hmm. So as soon as the first thing comes along that she can settle into, she's like, ah, my thing. And, like, that ends yeah. up being, like, the crux of her downfall. Yeah. And I'm not trying to be like, I'm not like other girls, eh, but, like, <laughs> I accepted the challenge not to settle, and she didn't. And this movie really kind of makes it seem like settling is the best thing you can do, because you can die young and beautiful, and uh, all, besides your best friend is kind of a bitch now. 
<laughs> is it saying it's the best thing you can do? Because. Well, Patsy, Patsy is an asshole because her friends are bad. And maybe things are going to be okay for Shirley MacLaine. But, like, also, she's the village crazy lady. But also, she's got a whole ass cult of personality that exists around her. Like, honestly, Shirley MacLaine in this movie is goals. Yeah, so that's what that's what I'm saying. Like, but like she, the the daughter, like yes, her life is hard, but she has the children, and she's still like weirdly happy and fulfilled because she is settling, because she never learned to not settle, because she was trying to rebel against her mom. Yeah, and like in that the beginning, is, I would say she was happy. Yeah, her settling is per, kind of shown in at least in like I'd say probably the first third. As like, oh, she's rebelling. Like, this is good. And like, it is not fucking good. As soon as I found out this asshole's name was Flap, I was like, don't do it. Hilarious. Hilarious. Emma, don't do it. She's right. His name is fucking Flap. (laughs) So no one one should propagate with someone named Flap. (laughs) No one should name their propagation Flap. Um, It's bad all around. I know the movie ends on a hopeful note for Shirley MacLaine and the astronaut. Yeah. But things do not exactly go well for her either. Mm, she goes to the fire with him a bit. And then, you her know, daughter her daughter dies. die. Yeah. 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 I was, I was getting to it. I was getting to it. She gets some dick, but also her favorite person in the world dies. That is very And true, now she has three children. <laughs> Yep, it's very true. Also, fuck the oldest son in this movie. What an asshole. Um, (laughs) That kid grew up to be a goddamn incel, and you cannot change my mind. Because he couldn't tell his mom he loved him. (laughs) Well, because he blamed the mom for all the problems. Uh, (laughs) Unfortunately, that happens with sons too often. He went from, like, I don't understand why mommy and daddy are fighting to, oh, it's because mommy's ugly and doesn't love us. Real quick. <laughs> I'm like, damn, maybe if mom was more of a MILF, dad wouldn't be fucking that co-ed. Because women's only job Jesus. is to, like, look pretty and be sexually available. Am I right, fellas? Have you listened to Andrew Tate's newest podcast, fellas? Jesus Christ. I hate that kid. Fuck that kid. <laughs> Bitch, I'm telling you the truth. The astronaut <laughs> is toxically masculine, and at one point he goes, I'm such a shit. And I'm like, cool, at least you know. Like, no. yes. <laughs> but this, I feel like this kid, like, for sure grew up to be a wife beater. Unless Shirley McLean actually beats him into him. Tell me I'm wrong, no. though. When she slapped the shit out of him in front of the hospital, I cheered. I fucking I don't cheered. believe in hitting kids. <laughs> However, comma. <laughs> Good for her. Yo, there was like a rock clothesline. That kid flew the fuck back. <laughs> Holy shit. I really do be saying, fuck them kids, though. Hey, sometimes you gotta say it, man. This is a safe space to say it. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it's just like, it's tricky. And I really liked the movie. Like, I thought the time skips were handled fairly elegantly. 
Even though the uh, really loud synth heavy like like would play every time, and I was like, <laughs> "All right." Yeah, just I but noticed then, it the last time. But then time sometimes they they'd play it not at time skip times. So like, yeah. in the middle of her and and uh, Jack Nicholson fucking, it was like, and I was like, "Oh God, is it the final countdown?" But I really liked it. I thought it did a really good job of covering a lot of difficult topics i thought the way that it shows the mom emma like passing away was really powerful it doesn't romanticize it it shows really what it is like but it still made it beautiful in the way that movies only movies can really do yeah but it didn't make me angry i feel that a lot of movies don't know how to handle that because, like, dying isn't beautiful and glamorous, but also sometimes it's not the, like, heaviest and grossest thing in the world either, even if it is deeply tragic. Yeah. And so the moment where she goes, I don't know why I thought when it was over, I thought I'd be relieved. Yeah. That's it. That's the feeling. Yeah, definitely. And I, I just, I thought it was beautifully done. Yeah, I mean, no notes for me. It was as eloquent as you can possibly handle that kind of situation. I do think that I don't I'm not saying uh, I need to like cut time or anything, but like I do feel the structure of this movie is a little messy and could probably be tightened down a little. I mean, some of the time jumps are a bit abrupt and you're trying to catch up to when stuff is happening. So I feel that especially because they're the same age, like they're the actresses are clearly the same age the whole time. Other than removing the soft glam cam from the early in the movie, they don't really age them up at all. Other than the kids, but that's they do make it. um they do make what's her name look sick. Oh well, but that's sick. That's not really aging them up though. But I know what you're ta- I know yeah. what you're saying though. I know I know what you're saying. But like God, Shirley MacLaine in that glamorous wardrobe with like the seven men around her fucking dinner table. Yeah, the white dress. Yeah. And then also we see that at least in the background of scenes when she is staying at the hospital, you see Danny DeVito and the other guy taking care of the kids. They flew all the way to Iowa just to make sure that she was all right with like maybe the hope of sexual or romantic reciprocation. But without the expectation of that. I think at that point. Because at this, I think at this point, want. 15 years is past. Like, yeah, maybe maybe there's a little bit of that candle burning in the back of your brain of like someday. But like, <laughs> nah, they just love her. In my letterbox review of this, I wrote, my favorite thing about Turns of Endearment is Shirley MacLaine. My second favorite thing is that no one even attempts a Texas accent except Danny DeVito. <laughs> Who's that short gentleman? Not that it's any of your business, but uh, I'll just leave it at that. What are you looking at? She isn't there anymore. She'll be back. I'm Edward Johnson, Roar's friend. Pleased to meet you. Vernon Dollart. God, isn't she something? Here she comes. I met her two weeks ago at church. 
I guess you might say she's God's gift to Vernon Dollard. Oh, man. The, the, the guys there, they did a pretty good job. I would definitely say that. At the end of the day, I think that this movie really, really works. And I'm really glad that I was able to watch it in the kind of the environment I was able to watch it in. Yeah. But also, shit, it's it's heavy. Yeah. And we don't really do this much often anymore. Like the, the plot of, would you going to take somebody out in, in some way? Someone's going to have to kind of go to pull up the emotional strings. And I think the 80s was like the first time when you can kind of get away with doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, but it's early enough to where it doesn't feel like an after school special. Like you can have like credible actors like pulling it off. And I think if Deborah Winger wasn't, I guess, I think Deborah Winger was kind of like, apparently she was like an asshole in real life. And so that's why her 90s career didn't like blow up like it probably should have. That is so but, disappointing. Yeah, I know. I know. But she's uber talented and, and Shirley McLean's fucking God. Jack and I haven't talked about Jack Nicholson. <laughs> like he's he's a he's a dick, but oh my god, what a charming dick. Would you like to come in? I'd rather stick needles in my eyes. Everything would have been just fine, you know, if you hadn't gotten drunk. I, mean, I was I, I just didn't want you to think I was like one of your other girls. Not much danger in that unless you curtsy on my face real soon. Garrett, what is it that makes you so insistent on shocking and insulting me? I mean, I really hate that way of talking. You must know that. Why do you do it? I'll tell you, Aurora, I don't know what it is about you, but you do bring out the devil in me. I think it's so funny that this director clearly on some level thought that Jack Nicholson was like the peak of male like sex appeal. <laughs> the the car scene, him getting out when he cut his head. Well, yeah, That's but true. then there's also he's like the main lead in his that other movie. It's the one with Helen Hunt. I always want to say something oh, as, good as, get, as good as it gets. It, it I always. Gets. Yeah. So like clearly well, he's like Jack Nicholson redeemably sexual asshole i think that's the thing though so innately he has that quality super titanic beneath the surface iceberg that is incredibly great but through that you gotta get through mounds of bullshit and yeah and that's like fine but like whenever i've seen him get with someone in a movie i've always been like I'm happy for them. I want nothing to do with that. <laughs> like it's fucking work. It's he has never landed for me. And like <laughs> okay. I've been in relationships that have been work. <laughs> Maybe like if we're still doing this podcast when I'm 55, when we're on season 44 of we should do this again sometime, uh, we'll have a, <laughs> another back. sidebar about if like 80s Jack Nicholson is hot. But like, Ooh, we gotta go back to the 70s. Even even when he's like being hot to old ladies, like in this, yeah. in something's gotta give. I'm like, you are an incredibly talented playwright. We're, we're specifically using something's gotta give here. 
Yeah. And Diane fucking Keaton, what are you doing? I get that he makes you laugh and no one has made you laugh in years. And I'm so glad he has encouraged you to let other people in. But why is it beginning and ending with this? Hilarious. And like, don't get me wrong. I've had a very hard day. I am probably going to make myself a cocktail and watch Something's Gotta Give immediately after this. I will probably cry because that is one of like three movies that makes me cry. But I will not cry when they get back together. Oh, <laughs> oh man, that's so fucking funny. Like, I think I, if you, I if like you... it, I'm like, oh, that's cute. That makes sense. I'm happy they're happy. But like, that doesn't like the. I don't go like, oh, I believe in the love. I, like, I'm like, yeah, cool. Look at them old people making out. I think if you're trying to f- discover attractive Nicholson, I think you have to go back to like five easy pieces from 1970 when he was like 33 ish basically 32 33 ish i'm gonna go back like that old as them their hills isn't he i mean how old is he He was I... born in 37 Ugh! he was born in 37 <laughs> he was born in 1937 he that I man thought, is I old thought he was like maybe 10 years older than my parents he is like 20 years older than my parents that man is aged aged he is wearing a black turtleneck in this movie so gotta give him that he looks 40 in this movie he's like 33 this is crazy (laughs) maybe that's always been my thing about him it's like even in this one like old it's not even that he looks old it's just like he feels old (laughs) when he's joker it makes sense but in a lot of his movies i've been like Oh, he's the, like, guy being, like, a little creepy but mostly harmless at the end of the bar. And he's either a really rough 37 or a really good 73. (laughs) Holy shit. So, yeah, you gotta go. You gotta do some digging. Maybe that's the theme of next season. Can we find sexy (laughs) Jack Nicholson? (laughs) <laughs> who the fuck knows man who the fuck knows oh also i hope you don't mind that i mentioned to my dad the idea of him possibly uh leading an episode of 80s mania uh wh- whatever episode he wants to get on well he, he he's uh, asked if he could possibly construct his own why not fuck yeah so uh peter peter might be doing a 80s masterclass as someone who was a full-time corporate worker but also a full-time uncle to two wonderful children in the 80s masterclass and also just a big old nerd so hey so like i said november 14th that episode i want to do something else that can be the episode your dad comes on well i i just want you to know that he specifically mentioned two movies. Okay. And he's not sure those are the movies yet. Ooh. One of them is Empire Strikes Back. Oh, okay. All right. And one Talk of them is language. The Great Muppet Caper. Oh. If you've enjoyed the episode, please subscribe, rate us five stars, leave a review and tell a friend to tell a friend. Follow Cat. At cat underscore Chinetti on Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, and Letterboxd. 
Follow Marcus, at showinmadlove, S-H-O-W-I-N-M-A-D-L-O-V, on Twitter and Letterboxd. Follow the show on Twitter at Cat and Mark. This podcast is executive produced by Kellen Conley and Eric Greenlee. Thanks for listening. We should do this again sometime. This is a hyphen podcast production.